Welcome to the Grace City Church Podcast, where we believe that Jesus died to reconcile us to God, to others, and to make us reconcilers. We're so glad you're here, and we pray that wherever you're watching, God is doing transforming work in you through this message. Thank you, McKenna. Again, that's not the text you typically want to pick up to get a little pick-me-up. But I think the Lord has a word for us. Let me pray. Father God, we come before you this morning, and uh, we do want to see you as holy. And so I just pray we would. I pray that we would even have a sobriety when we think about you, a clear-mindedness when we think about you, that we would want to cast our mind to you, that you would become the most compelling thing that we could ever imagine thinking on. Lord, we ask that you would capture our imagination and that you would also grab a hold of our heart. That our affections and desires would be of you, on you, through you, to you. And Lord, we pray that our hands would would want to do all the things you want us to do. Because we want to do it too. Lord Jesus, only you can do that here. Only you can do that with imperfect people. And Lord, we recognize that we can come into this space in all sorts of different kind of places, and especially on the first Sunday in January, we want to just pray that you would use your power to speak to all of us in a very unique way, that we'd anticipate the divine presence of the Holy Spirit who is inside of us personally, but also amongst us corporately, and who desires to get inside of us and change us and to move us and to not keep us the same. I pray you would destroy any arrogance in us that thinks we can sit amongst your word, amongst your people, amongst singing proclamation to your glory, and that that wouldn't have any effect on us. And we just want to see you. And so we ask all of that. In the mighty name of Jesus, all God's people said, amen. So I grew up in a uh, very um, traditional church setting where we had a lot of traditional and historic habits. Um, We would sing hymns at church on Sunday. Anybody grew up singing hymns? Hymns was the typical thing we would sing. We would recite creeds, ancient creeds, the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed. We would say these things over us. Um, I went through confirmation. Any confirmation folk in the room? Yeah, see, lots of confirmation people in the room. Went through confirmation where I memorized all the books of the Old Testament and the New Testament. Praise God for that. Still got to memorize. Thankful for confirmation. Memorized Psalm 23. Uh, we were, the church would follow the church calendar. So there was a lot of things like that that we were practicing. Mama PK, pray for me, right? Like pray for my kids too, um, pastor's kid. And uh, so he would wear the robe and it was the whole garb. And I mean, there was so much rich, historic tradition associated with the context I grew up. But here is the truth. I was the farthest thing from a Christian. I did not have a personal, let me say it one more again, personal relationship with Jesus. I was so close to it, but it missed me all the time. And here is the thing, like before we start talking about habits, it's so important we see the purpose behind the habit. Before we talk about disciplines, it's important that we understand the why behind the discipline, or we're never going to use the discipline for the end that God meant for it to be used towards. Amen? So these things he's given us, we ain't going to use right until we first get the why. That's why that that quote that's been passed around some that goes something like, if you want to get a a ship built, 
You don't need to gather men and give them orders and get them to grab wood. Instead, you need to teach them to yearn for the vast and endless sea. You give them a desire. And when you have a desire, you're going to figure out a way to do it. But here's one thing that's good. It's also nice when you got a desire and some practical steps on how. Amen. It's nice when you got both, right? Like when you, when you got the desire for the sea and the map on how to get there, right? Or like the, the, the instructions on how to build a ship. But first we want to talk about, we want to talk about the holiness of God, which is the why behind any spiritual discipline or habit. Why use disciplines? Why use habits? Why, why in a new year think about how can I get new things into my life? There is one answer, and it's the holiness of God, fam. So my question I want to ask, too, to begin with is just this. Do you see God as holy? Like, do you see him as holy? And there ain't no better book to talk about God's holiness than Leviticus. Because that's what the whole book is about. Four times it says that we should be holy because the Lord your God is, say it with me, holy. First Peter 1 picks it up the same kind of way. We should be holy because the Lord God is holy. And in some ways, the whole book of Leviticus could be summarized by saying this. How could the holy divine presence dwell with imperfect, imperfect, imperfect people? How could such a holy God dwell with such imperfect people. This is what Leviticus is answering in a lot of ways, and it's about worship. It's about worship. So as we look, as we parachute into chapter 10, a couple of, little bit of context, the people of Israel have been freed out of slavery, but they've been freed for a purpose. So when we get freed in Christ, we become a new creation in Christ. He has purpose for our life. We're not just freed to go wild, and we're freed to follow him, to worship him, to love him. And so when the people of God get freed out the Exodus, God starts showing them how to worship, showing them who to worship, but also showing them how to worship. And a lot of the end of Exodus and Leviticus is just working through all these things of what it means to worship a holy God. And then in chapter 9, the priesthood, the ministry of the priesthood begins. And chapter 9 is going pretty good after the priesthood begins. Like, everybody's doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing up until this point, worshiping the way that God desired. And so we get at the end of 9, before our text today, verse 22 of chapter 9, <clears throat> Aaron lifted his hands toward the people and blessed them. And having sacrificed the sin offering, which is what he was supposed to do, the burnt offering, which is what he was supposed to do, the fellowship offering, he stepped down. And Moses and Aaron then went into the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, and they came out and blessed the people. And look, and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. Fire came out of the presence of the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat portions of the altar. And when all the people saw it, this is what they did, they shouted for joy and they fell face down. Because when you see the holiness of God, the glory of God, that's what you do. It's really basically that simple. Two things. You shout for joy and you fall face down. You go, man, God is so incredible, so amazing, so lovely, and he is completely holy, so I'm going to fall on my knees. It's the truth of God and the grace of God. It's the righteousness of God and the mercy of God. And that's the right response of worship to a holy God. It's both joy and joy. And reverence. So again, 
Ministry's going good so far. And then chapter 10, don't take long for God's people to mess things up. Amen. If you've been in church, if you're new to church, welcome to church where it don't take long for God's people to mess things up. Verse 1, Aaron, Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, took their censers and put fire in them and added incense. And they offered unauthorized. Everybody say unauthorized. They offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, contrary to his command. So fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them. And they died before the Lord. Moses then said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke of when he said, among those who approach me, I will be proved holy. In the sight of all people, I will be honored. And Aaron remained silent. Now here's the truth, right? I think for most of us, we're way more comfortable with a loving God than a holy God. We're way more comfortable with an approachable God than an unapproachable God. I, I think for, for most of us, we don't ask the question, how could a holy God be so gracious to us? We may, way more often culturally, I think, go, how could a loving God do something like this? Like, how could a loving God, a gracious God, a merciful God, like have these people just be consumed with fire all of a sudden just because they offered unauthorized fire? Like, here's what's crazy. These, these, these two sons of Aaron, they weren't acting wild. You know what I'm saying? Like, they weren't out here on the streets living all sorts of kind of ways, starting to organize crime, taking hardcore drugs, cheating, lying, stealing. Like, that's not what they were doing. They literally were approaching God in an unauthorized manner, and then they're met with unquenchable fire. We go, what? I think most of us were way more comfortable with a t-shirt, Jesus is my homeboy, right? Like, you know, dap Jesus up. Like, we, man, we tight, Jesus. You know what I'm saying? Not like he's a holy God. We just sang it, a thrice holy God. You know what three holies mean in the Hebrew? Because they don't have exclamation points or emojis. And meant perfectly holy. He is a God who is perfectly holy. He is an unquenchable fire. Literally, the Israelites in the Old Testament would follow around a pillar of fire that represented the presence of God. Moses encountered a flaming bush because he's fire. He's never-ending light. He, he would blind us if we saw him clearly. He's omnipotent, meaning all-powerful. He's omniscient, meaning all-knowable. He deserves all the adoration. The scriptures say, heavens declare his glory. Skies proclaim the work of his hands. What it says in Romans 11 is all things come from him, exist by his power, and are intended for his glory. He's never wrong, meaning he's always right. He cannot lie. He will not change. He is immutable. He is completely sovereign. He is the alpha, the beginning. He is the omega, the end. He is the holy God, a thrice holy God. Do we see him as holy? Do you see him as holy? Like the idea of gazing upon him, grabbing your imagination, the idea of being in his presence, not only is there joy, but there's a little bit of like, I don't know if I should get too close because he's holy. Because he's 
holy. Here's the thing that's crazy is we don't actually know what about the fire made it unauthorized. People have different thoughts. Some people think that it was unauthorized fire because they used their sensors and their fire rather than the fire from the burnt offering. And so they were doing something for their own ends, possibly out of a selfish motive, but using their own stuff rather than the stuff that God had prescribed. Some think it's because that particular duty was reserved for the high priest. And so they're trying to, in some ways, usurp the authority structure that God has put in place and kind of just do it themselves. Or some think they were just doing it without the permission of, of Aaron and Moses and were just doing it their own way. We don't know why the fire was unauthorized. All we know was that it was unauthorized. But we do know this is the sin wasn't birthed out of ignorance or just neglect. It was willful. We know it because the text says they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord contrary to his command. This was contrary to a command that the Lord had given. This was not just a sin of ignorance. This was a sin that they willfully chose to do, not listening to God. And so, after this unconsumable fire consumes them, they die. And Moses says this. He's like, this is the purpose statement. If we're reading our text, we want to do good hermeneutics. Why? Because the Lord, this is what the Lord said, among those who approach me, I will be proved holy. You ain't going to approach me unless you understand that I'm holy. If you don't come, you better come correct is the idea. Like, you better come the right way because this is who I am. My nature is holy. You got to put some respect on my name. In the sight of the people, I will be honored. Aaron remains silent. Then look. Moses then summons Mishael and Elzaphan, sons of Aaron's uncles, Uziel, and they said to them, come here, carry your cousins outside the camp away from the front of the sanctuary. So they came and carried them, these two sons, still in their tunics, outside of the camp, as Moses ordered. So not only are they consumed by fire, but then they're carried outside of the camp. The idea is now they are removed from the presence of God. This is, this is akin to rejection. And then Moses said to Aaron and his sons, Eleazar and Ithamar, these are two of his other sons, do not, or two of Aaron's other sons, do not let your hair become unkempt. And do not tear your clothes, or you will die, and the Lord will be angry with the whole community. Not only were they consumed with fire, not only were they rejected and moved outside the camp, but now his other brothers are told that they can't mourn for them. He says, but your relatives, all the Israelites, may mourn for those the Lord has destroyed by fire. Do not leave the entrance to the tent of meeting, or you will die, because the Lord's anointing oil is on you. So they did as Moses said. So these two other sons, he's like, everybody else can mourn, but these two sons and Aaron cannot mourn because they still have ministry and work to do. The oil is still on them, and there's still stuff for them to do. So again, welcome to Grace City Church, right? Like this is, we believe all the Bible, the whole Bible is the Bible. It's all God's word, amen? So we want to look at all of it. And if God's immutable, meaning he doesn't change, then what happened then has relevance for us now. And as we read texts, even in Leviticus, we shouldn't just kind of skirt over them and be like, well, I don't not know. Like, let's keep going. We instead should go, what is the truth that God wants me to get now? And here's one of the truths God wants us to get now is that he's a holy God. 
He is a holy God. He's a thrice holy, perfectly holy God. Do we believe he is a holy God? Or are we way more comfortable with his accessibility while neglecting his unapproachability? Are we way more comfortable with, with kind of best friends, buddy Jesus, but we're not okay with consuming fire Jesus? But this is a part of his nature that we must grasp, especially if we're going to have any success, I believe, at spiritual habits or disciplines today. I got four things I want you to get from the text this morning. The first thing is this, and it's because I think that for many of us, you see a text like that, and you're like, what in the world is going on, and how can this happen? And this doesn't seem fair. Why doesn't it seem fair? Because what they did seems so trivial. But let me say this. Sin seems trivial to us when we view God's holiness as trite. Meaning of not a big deal, not important. Sin seems trivial to us when we view God's holiness as trite. When we don't have a big view of the holiness of God, it is so much easier for, for sin to pervade our life and, and for all those parts of our life for us to be okay with it because we don't have this big sense of the holiness of God, and so we'll just act kind of any way around God, not really thinking about it. Y'all ever seen um, Undercover Boss? Um, an Undercover Boss is funny because an Undercover Boss, you know, it's like the CEO or whoever, the, hot, the president, he dresses up, puts on a wig, I don't know, and he goes and he works at the franchise, one of the franchise, one of the shops or something. And so he working and she working, and as they're doing it, like nobody knows it's the CEO, and so they're just acting normal. And for some people, normal is really sweet and kind. And, and for other people, they're they crazy, right? They're wild. And you, if those of you who work like restaurants and stuff, you know. You're like, this, this is crazy sometimes right out there. I worked at Pizza Hut for three and a half years. I know. You know what I'm saying? Like, like you go, it's crazy. And, and, uh, and so, some of that, so at the end, it's, it's kind of like the final judgment, right? At the end, the final, like an end times final judgment. Because then it's like, this was the boss. And people are like, oh. And then for, for those who were really sweet, they're like, here's a car because you've been struggling. And they're like, thank you. And then for those who've been acting up, they're like, you're fired. And they're like, dang. You know what I'm saying? But the one who was fired, this is, what they, this is always what they do. The one who's, I mean, it's basically like, if I only would have known, I would not have been acting like that. Hey, here's, here's the truth. Many of us are acting the way we're acting because we don't understand God's holiness. That not only is he right here with us, but he, and he's, he's not a CEO or president. This is the holy one of God. The one whom there is nobody like. But, but when we don't have that picture of him, sin starts to become trivial. And we might be like, well, I mean, I'm not out here doing all this kind of crazy, crazy stuff. But then little stuff becomes more acceptable to us. Because we don't really have a high sense of the holiness of God, right? So we're okay with neglecting the word. We're okay with neglecting prayer. We're okay with ne neglecting our family, our first priority that God has told us. We're neglecting evangelism or ministry to other people. And we'd be like, you know what I'm saying? We're okay har harboring a little bit of hate in our heart as long as it's not, I mean, it's not like I kill nobody. A little bit of gossip because it's like, it's not like I'm out here on these Facebook streets slandering people. You know what I'm saying? I'm just talking to my friend about it. I just got to process that's how we gossip today. We're processing. Got to process with somebody. 
It's in the process of processing we end up slandering people, don't we? But it's just a little thing. It's just a little thing. But here's the thing. For some of us who've been wrestling with whatever particular sin it might be, it's not that we don't need to fight the sin. I think we do need to fight the sin. But we actually might find more victory when we just focus on the holiness of God. And we realize how big and mighty and powerful and fire God is. And then sin will start to shift. So, But for some of us, again, sin feels trivial because God's holiness is trite. And that's why he says when these people just approach him with unauthorized fire, they get consumed. And the Lord says, among those who approach me, I will be proved holy. Like you are going to know that I'm holy. You might not right now, but one day you will know that I'm holy. And the sight of all people, I will be honored. The second thing I want to say that we get from this text is the way we worship, the way we approach God matters. That might not feel like a weighty statement, but I hope you hear me. The way we approach God, the way we worship, it matters. Like, if it didn't, we could not have the book of Leviticus. It's like they get freed and there's all this process about things we need to do and ways we need to approach God and all this kind of stuff. And you're like, why am I reading about lampstands and sacrifices? And all? you can read, you're like, what am I reading? But you cannot read it and go, the way we approach God doesn't matter. And the reason why it matters is because we're approaching a holy God. And as we get near holiness, the only way we can do it is with sobriety and intentionality. And so that's why in our text, he then says in verse 8, Then the Lord said to Aaron, You and your sons are not to drink wine or other fermented drink whenever you go into the tent of meeting, or you will die. This is the lasting ordinance. He's like, you should have a sober mindset as you approach God. You should think intentional about the way that you approach him. And not just live every other, every kind of way. So Christmas just happened. Plunk kids have a lot. Look at, they all looked up at me at the same time. And they said, what? Daddy. We have a, if you know my situation, a lot of, grandpa- a lot of grandparents to my kids. So lots of gifts flow into the Plunk household. Way too many. Amen, Leah? <clears throat> way, way, too, way too many flow in. <laughs> and uh, way too many flow in. And so sometimes it's playing, like, kids, especially the youngest, like, be breaking stuff already, right? Like, it's already, you had it for, like, a day. I'm actually thinking about myself right now, something I did. But anyways, you had it for, like, a day, and already you broke it, right? Like, that's just, that's just part, of, part of what happens. And for a lot of stuff, it's not that big a deal, right? It might be dinky kind of, t- but if you give a child or even an older kid something that matters, the way they handle it matters too. Like if the thing matters, then the way that they, if it's a family heirloom, the way that they do, if it's something very intentional, the way they, all that stuff's gonna matter too. Or you think about like, again, our backyard is, we play in it all the time, but there's a fire pit. When the fire pit's not going, it doesn't matter as much. But when there's fire in the pit, the way that my children conduct themselves around the fire deeply matters. And what I, want us, what I want us to get today is when we understand the holiness of God, we will start, that will start to change the way in which we approach God. 
And we will stop being as flippant with God, but we will start to have a sobriety, yes, like an accessibility, but also an unapproachability in the way that we approach him with reverence. All right, so let me talk a little bit about like some, some theological terms around worship. There's two typical ways that Christians think about worship. One is two different ways. One is the regulative principle. We be in seminary today. The other one's the normative principle, all right? The regulative principle is this, basically that God regulates the way we worship. We should only do the things in worship that God prescribes for us to do, all right? We should only do the things in worship that God prescribes for us to do. The normative principle takes the opposite approach, and it says this, if God doesn't forbid it in worship, then we are free to do it. You hear the difference? Regulative principle, we should only do what God prescribes for us to do in worship. Normative principle, if God doesn't forbid it, we are free to do it in worship. A lot of y'all looking at me blank stares. Um, now, okay, here's why I want to do this. Here's why I want to talk to you about this. Is because the way we approach God matters. And although I think, I'm not a, I don't hold to the regular principle, because I think sometimes regular principle regulate out of worship a lot of things that God has in it, honestly. But the sentiment is, we should take worship seriously, because God is serious. Now the normative principle can be the same thing, right? Like I probably fall somewhere in the middle, that, that we should do the things God tells us to do the most, clearly. But as you get into the New Testament and the gospel principle of freedom, you don't really see the New Testament worship prescribed as much as described. I mean, it's not typically telling us what to do, but you see the way the early church is doing it. But we should worship, we should do the things the Bible talks about the most and everything else we should do for the glory of God too. But here's what I want you to hear me say today is, is we need to think about how we approach God. Because Leviticus and really the whole Bible shows us that the way we approach him matters deeply. And we should be intentional with how we approach him. Let me make it plain. I believe for in our church context, like at Grace City Church, too many of us are so flippant with the way that we worship and approach God. Like, like we, we don't couple God's accessibility with his holiness. And so we think we could, it just, it don't really matter. It's not really a big deal. What's happening here is not weighty, it's substantial, whether in our personal time or in our corporate time. Like, like really to make it plain, I use this in the last service too, but like for example, what in a, in a corporate gathering, what is the most culturally acceptable time to transition something? Prayer. The most culturally acceptable time to transition is during prayer. Why? Because everybody's eyes are closed. So y'all you know, with me, I'm preaching, I'm looking at you. We start praying bathroom. You know what I'm saying? Like now's my time. You're going to jump. Same thing. Most of the time we start praying, band's like, all right, like, let's do it. Now's the time. We can get in there. And, but, but here's the crazy thing. It's like for everybody in the room, our eyes might be closed and we're like, oh, wow, look, they're there. God's not like, what? How did they move? They just, well, how did they go from there to there? That is crazy. My children are cool. 
No, it's like God is omniscient, all-knowing, always there, always present. This is a moment, here's, like we're always talking to God and interacting with God, but, but isn't prayer the time we uniquely say we're going to talk to him? And aren't we implicitly even doing something to our own psyche when we decide we can use that time for transition? Now, hear me say this. We will not shame anybody for transitioning during prayer in this church, okay? So don't, don't, we can't not get our high horses and start, start shaming folk. I just want us to think about how we worship. And think about if we, if we are actively thinking about how holy God is in moments. Like, I wonder how many of us, again, we're going to stay in corporate. I want to get to some personal application here too. But how many of us would consider preparing ourselves before corporate worship? Like, you know what, Saturday night, I'm going to go to bed early to be ready to worship with my family on Sunday morning. Most of us are like, that sounds crazy. That's my night I can stay up late. And the game on, and, I, and here's the thing, is it's not that it's wrong to stay up late, but, but are we preparing ourselves? In the morning, are we doing what we need to do to get the church right? You know, I said in other service, but like, Parents, here's the truth, right? Like, for somehow, it can be hard to get kids to school on Sunday morning, or sorry, during the week. But, but for some, some reason, it's harder to get kids to church on Sunday morning than it is to get them to school during the week. And I do think Satan be crazy and be, making, be putting demons in all of our kids on Sunday morning, right? Like, it's just, he'd be trying to get all of them. He's just like, how does this happen? But also, it's like, well, what if we had the reverence of the moment to say, actually, I'm going to wake up 30 minutes early and just start all this thing earlier because I want to make sure I can get to church to be in a place to be able to receive God. You know what I'm saying? Like, to, to, to bring that to it, and like, again, I'm a little bit on my little uh, soapbox, I realize it, but like, like okay, remember start time, I am going to go there. <laughs> Six years in the making. It's about engaging people and welcoming them home, but it's also about preparing our hearts. And how arrogant are we to think? Like, I cannot enter into a space and be ready all of a sudden. Can you? Like, it takes me a second. Because I got the worries of life in my mind. So I need time with God to be able to see him for who he truly is. And it's my own limitations, not his. I mean, wor musical worship, raised hands, hands out, on our knees. These are biblical prescribed postures for worship. It's not chiefly as to was I feeling the worship team this Sunday. That is so down on the totem pole of how we should be orienting or singing to God. The loudness of our voice, the postures of our hands, the postures of our bodies should be chiefly because of who we're singing to, not the quality of who's singing to us. Do we see him as holy? Because when we do, we approach him in particular ways. This is a holy God, a thrice holy God, a perfectly holy God. Some personal things, though, you know what I'm saying? With, oh, I'm using a lot of illustrations of my kids. But, like, before they come, this is something that the Lord convicted me on thinking about it. Like, I have my, my time with the, word, with, with the Lord in the mornings. 
And I was thinking about it because a lot of times my kids will come out, and especially in the holidays, and they're like, hey, Daddy, you know, can we read or can we play, play or whatever? And, like, they interrupt my time. But when I'm talking to an adult, we've trained our kids that they can't just come interrupt us. They need to come put their hand on us. And then we will acknowledge them when it's time. But, like, we're teaching your kids to not interrupt. For some reason, kids think they can just interrupt adults, right? Like, that doesn't make any sense. We don't do that to each other. Like, like so is that. But here's what I was realizing is I was letting them come interrupt my time with, with, with the Lord all the time. As if I wasn't talking to anybody. If there's ever a time they should put their hand on my leg and wait for me to respond, it's when I'm talking to the holy God of the universe. And you just, like, what I want us to do is to consider personally the way in which we are worshiping, the way in which we're relating to God, and what parts of it are not cheaply because God's accessible. Like, God is accessible. He is approachable now. We're going to talk about it. But he's also holy and he's fire. And sometimes we use the idea of accessibility and his love to actually diminish his holiness. But our God is a paradoxical God. He's a God who can hold two things in his hands simultaneously. So he holds his holiness and he holds the incarnation and his grace and his accessibility at the exact same time. So we got to be careful though when we are throwing out his holiness. All right. First one, Sin seems trivial to us when God's holiness is trite. Second one is the way we approach or worship God matters. The third one is that God has called us to holiness. I want you to see in verse 10. So again, he says, have a sober mindset basically as you, as you come to God. Don't drink. This is the lasting ordinance for the generations to come, verse 10, so that, here's the purpose, you can distinguish between the holy and the common, between the unclean and the clean. I want you to be able to understand what holiness is and what commonness is, what cleanliness is, and what uncleanness is. So I didn't even said the word of what this sermon actually is. The, the sermon is on personal sanctification. Sanctification, that word, comes from the Latin word sanctity, which just means holiness. So personal sanctification is just the process where we are becoming more holy. When we see the holiness of God, he puts a seed in us and that seed cannot help but grow and sprout and produce and grow and bear fruit, which is our own holiness. He is holy, but he also desires for us to be holy like he is holy, which is the refrain of Leviticus. Here he says, I want you to be able to distinguish between what is holy and common, clean and unclean. And here's what I want to say, because I want us to see this, is, is holiness is a subset of cleanliness. It is not cleanliness itself, it's a subset of it. Meaning this, not all clean things are holy, but all holy things are clean. So you have unclean and clean, and then under clean is common, 
and holy. This is why I say this. It's because some of us think the process of sanctification and becoming holy only means running from sin. Only means cleanliness. But it doesn't. That's a part of it. But God has this subcategory where he also wants us to be set apart for a special purpose. To be used by God, for God, and to God for his glory. Your process of becoming holy does not just mean that you're weeding sin out of your life. It means that you are embracing and understanding your call to new life. So I got a slide for you about sanctification. There's two parts of it. That's what you're seeing today. It's deconstruction and reconstruction. Deconstruction is realizing that the totality of us has been touched by sin. So we need the Holy Spirit, God's word, community, the preaching, sacrament. We need all these habits to come into our life and to start to kill, the theological term is to mortify, the, the sin in our life. But then we also need to be reconstructed. Understanding that in Christ Jesus, we are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. To realize, as it says in, in Philippians chapter 1, he who began a good work in you will carry it on unto completion. To realize, he says this, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that it's God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. He wants us to grow unto new life as well, to be set apart for a purpose. So here's what I want to ask today. And this is what I think it is as we think about sanctification and before we embrace the habits is this, is what does God need to put to death in your life? Like, I don't want you to just understand the concept. I want you to think about the reality. And here's the truth. If you think that there is nothing in your life that God needs to put to death, I would say it's because you do not actually see God as holy. And some sin has become trivial and it don't feel big because his holiness is trite. What does he need to put to death? But then also, what does he need to bring to life? What new work is he wanting to do in you? What special purpose has he set you apart for? Like, that's what the Bible says. If we are in Christ, he has good stuff for us to do that he is calling us to. But we all got to understand there is a deconstruction, a mortification, and a bringing to life, a vivification of that as well. That he wants to say, what does he bring into life? What's he want to do into you? What special purpose does he want to put on you? So these are my three points. My last point is this. <clears throat> what we see in this text this morning is we see two priests who go before the Lord and offer unauthorized fire. And we like to think it just affects them, but it doesn't just affect them. Then their dad and their brothers can't even mourn over their death. And then their cousins are literally carrying their body outside the camp. So it's affecting the whole community. And as you continue to read the book of Leviticus, what you see is this priestly system that God has put in place necessarily because we need mediated access because God is so holy is imperfect. Meaning that imperfect people occupy the office of priest and so they constantly failing and you see it littered throughout the Old Testament and the New really like leaders fail like priests fail like nobody's really doing it as good as they need to do it and so one of the things this text is calling us to look towards is a better priest 
a perfect priest, the prince of peace, and the great high priest whose name is Jesus. That there is a priest who will never fail at his priestly duty. There's a priest who will never offer a bit of unauthorized fire. Like, like he'll never go before God incorrectly. This priest is sitting at the right hand of the Father, and he is constantly, according to the Scriptures, interceding on our behalf. This priest was also a human, so that when the Father looks at us, he sees us through this perfect priest. So that now we have, through this perfect priest, the ability to approach a holy God differently than we ever would be able to without him. And I want to read this text from Hebrews chapter 4. And I pray it sinks into your soul this morning. It says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus The Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Amen, right? This holy God who is unapproachable, who's fire, who rightly could consume us, instead of consuming us, has actually consumed Jesus on the cross. Jesus paid the penalty for all of our insincere and arrogant worship. He paid the penalty for all of our sin that were big and small, all the ways we view it as trite or or, or trivial. He paid that kind of price. He took it. And so now how do we get to approach God? With confidence that we might receive what he has promised to give us mercy and grace and help us in our time of need. That now we don't have to diminish his holiness to embrace God. Now we actually get to receive the benefit of the holiness of God because the grace of Jesus surrounds us like a cloud so that we can go into the fire. This is our Jesus. There is nobody like him. Ben, you come back up. There is nobody like this Jesus. There is no priest who could so perfectly carry out all the duties that we will so constantly fail at. And I do not know how you are feeling this morning or how this message has hit you or just what's going on in your life, but I just want to tell you today as we consider and ponder the holiness of God and think about how he wants to make us holy, I want you to first think about just how we have a great high priest in Jesus who understands our plight. He can empathize with us in every way according to that text. Yet he did not sin, and because of his work, we are viewed as him. And we're going to get a chance to take communion and receive prayer and sing. But I just want you to hear that message because that message is for you. It's for us. The grace, that throne that's now should be a throne of fire. It's called there a throne of grace. 
for us to get to walk boldly up to in reverence and say, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Let me pray for us. Father God, there is nobody like you. You are holy. You are thrice holy. We thank you that we get to be in relationship with the perfect one. And that the perfect one would die for our sins. You're better to us than we deserve. You're more gracious than we could ever be deserving of. And so we need to not even try to, <laughs> to make it up to you, to be worthy of your grace. We just want to receive it here this morning. And may that grace motivate us to worship and enjoy a holy God. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grace City Church Podcast. Whether this is your first time with us or you find the Lord moving you to engage differently or just learn more about who we are, we encourage you to find us at our website.